If you guys want to go ahead and open up to Leviticus 10, that's where we're going to start. Leviticus chapter 10. Appreciate Blake reading the first uh, seven verses there. Those first seven verses, at least for me anyway, are a common passage um, to show that you know God is serious when he says something like, I want fire from this place or I want fire from there. In this instance, we usually look, we, we go here and we look at this and we say, yeah, okay, they brought strange fire or profane fire or whatever. They, they got fire from the wrong place. So the goal wasn't just to burn incense. It was to treat God as holy. Um, but what I find interesting is in the verses after this passage, um, I want to continue our reading. If you look in Leviticus chapter 10, um, look at verse 8 through 11. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or strong drink, neither you nor your sons with you, when you come into the tent of meeting, so that you will not die. It is a perpetual statute throughout your generations, and so as to make a distinction between the holy and the profane, and between the unclean and the clean, and so as to teach the sons of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them through Moses. Now, I think it's implied, but not necessarily implied, meaning I, I, this isn't something I can prove from the text. But I think Nadab and Bihu had been drinking when they did this. Um, Leviticus and Deuteronomy and even Exodus are, are kind of infamous for you know, jumping subjects. Sometimes you're talking about one thing, sometimes you're talking about another. So that could be what's going on here. God may just be saying, and now is the time to talk about alcohol. <laughs> okay? Um, but as you go on, this whole chapter is about one incident. Like everything in this chapter seems to be tied to this incident and how they're supposed to handle it and what they're supposed to do in light of the incident. So I, again, personally don't, I personally think these are tied together. But even if they're not, even if it is a completely different random thing, the fact is that it's stated here for Aaron and his sons, do not drink wine or strong drink when you come into the tent of meeting. So it doesn't have to be tied to this incident. I just think it is. Um, but the lesson doesn't depend on that because the statement is made. The command is given. seems that that would have led to their poor judgment. Um, but whether I'm right or wrong, um, they were forbidden this when serving in the tent. So I'd like to spend a few minutes uh, this morning talking about our relationship with alcohol. Um, meaning Christians. And I'm not really going to uh, uh, approach drunkenness per se. I think that's pretty clear. Um, you can look in the New Testament and you can see where drunkenness and drunkards specifically are condemned. Um, if you have questions about that, please ask me. Say, you know, where is that? And, and how, how do you know that so surely? Well, there, there are some verses that's pretty clear. This would be like a five-minute lesson if I was just going to speak on drunkenness. We'd turn to some verses, and then we'd all break. That might make some of you happy. But it's going to be a little bit longer. This is a more nuanced thing because this is about alcohol in general and what should our relationship be as Christians. Um, <clears throat> we're not, I want to say this as we begin also, we're not bound by ordinances of the Levitical priesthood. So I'm not turning back here to try to find laws in the old law that say, oh, these are still binding today. That's not the, the purpose of this. Um, we can't and we shouldn't do that. 
go back to the old law. I mean, that's the entire book of Hebrews. The whole point of that is, in, is telling Christians, do not go back to the old law. Okay? So that's not what I'm doing when I turn back to here, because we're not actually reading law, we're reading an incident, and God's response to that incident. Um, we can, however, learn from these things more about God's character and his reasoning, how he thinks about things, how he thinks about us. Um, and so according to this text, just looking at the words in the text, for those priests, for Aaron and his sons, alcohol, or the consumption of alcohol, one or the other, mixed with the service of the priests, blurred the lines between the holy and the profane. Did you see that? Because God gives reasoning. He doesn't... God could just say, stop drinking alcohol, Aaron. And that would be enough. Right? But again, in his mercy, he sort of explains what's going on. He says, verse 10, so as to make a distinction between the holy and the profane. I want a clear line between what's holy and what's common. What's about me and what's about the world. I want a clear line between what's clean and unclean. In verse 11, I, thought, I think this was important too. So as to teach the sons of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them through Moses. There seemed to be some inhibition in teaching involved when they mixed alcohol with their service in the tent. Now also, I keep mentioning that, but I haven't stated it explicitly. Verse 9 says that that prohibition applied when you come into the tent of meeting. Okay. He does not say for the rest of your lives everywhere. He just says, when you come into the tent of meeting, have no strong drink and no wine. Right? But it seems to reach beyond the tent. Because he says, verse 11, the reason I'm asking this is so as to teach the sons of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken in through Moses. Right? So I want to look at these two things. right? And this is going to be very quickly. This is not like two points that take 20 minutes each, right? Because we're going to move into application really quickly, okay? What is the line between the holy and the profane? Well, turn over one chapter. Look in Leviticus 11. Leviticus 11, verses 44 and 45. This is one of those places in the old law that, honestly, I'm, I'm just left sort of scratching my head, like, why did God pick these bugs and not these bugs? And why did God pick these fish and not these fish to be clean or unclean? But he did. And at the very end of this, or toward the end of it, Leviticus 11, beginning in verse 44, God says, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. And you shall not make yourselves unclean with any of the swarming things that swarm on the earth. For I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The line between holy and the profane is God. Like, we can't draw another line and say, well, I'm going to say some things are holy. God draws the line. And it's his character that draws the line. He is holy. In fact, when you go back and look in Exodus, and you, he's, he's giving them the institution or the drawings of the how to use the tabernacle, right? He says, my presence consecrates that. You're going to do all of this stuff. You're going to do all this sacrificing. 
You're going to do that. My presence consecrates it. God makes holy because he's holy. So things associated with him are holy. Things associated with the world are profane. I also skipped over this. Profane is common. Sometimes we use the word profane as like a really strong negative, like, ooh, that's, that's profane. In, in the Bible, typically that English word profane just means not holy, common, which from God's perspective is kind of like, ooh, gross, nasty, I don't want to deal with that, right? But, you know, it, it doesn't mean some, like, extraordinarily evil thing. It just means not holy. Right? That's what profane is. So I wanted to bring that up too. So that's the line. God is the line. So now, regarding the association of priests with alcohol, he's saying mixing alcohol with their service in the tent mixed profane and holy. Okay? Well, the conclusion that you have to reach then is either alcohol itself or the consumption of it is a profane thing. It's a common thing. It's not a holy thing. For them. Okay, because he says when you're in my tent, which is a holy place, I don't want this there. Because you're mixing profane and holy, I don't want you to do that. Okay. And again, an addendum. He never says all profane things are sinful things. They're just profane. They're common. It's not something God dabbles in. Right? It's a common thing. But he doesn't want them mixed. Right sends the wrong message, right? Because he talks about teaching. That's what we're going to talk about next. So what about this teaching? Why does, how does it inhibit teaching? Well, I, I, get, I struggled with that idea because you don't have the whole nation of Israel following the priest into the tent and watching what he's doing. They can't go in there. They can't. I mean, many of them couldn't go into the outer court. They couldn't go into the courtyard of the tabernacle. So how does it inhibit teaching? Why does he say, don't drink when you minister in the tent so as to teach, so that you can teach all the statutes. Well, we have to right, engage reason and try to come up with some way that that happens. Um, the only effect I can think of, or one of the only, is that the population sees them when they're at home drinking, knowing that they're about to go into the tent and minister. Or they're in the bar, right? <laughs> I don't know if there was a bar tent. <laughs> okay, but let's imagine that there was, right? They're human beings, and they're drinking alcohol. There's probably a place to go in the camp of 600,000 men to get alcohol. Well, they're sitting there like, hey, you know, Nadab, aren't you about to go to the tent and, and burn incense? And he looks at his watch or whatever. Oh, yeah. You know, maybe he hops up and he runs off or... They don't have interaction with the people of Israel in the tent. So the interaction is before and after, in which case they're intoxicated. Before and after. And somehow, God says that affects your teaching. You don't teach all the statutes. Or it could be, this isn't because teaching involves two parties, it could be these people just don't respect you and don't receive your teaching. I'm actually verbalizing it, but because you're intoxicated, they just think you're a joke. <clears throat> right? 
because they know how they are when they're intoxicated. They're not thinking straight. So why would they listen to you when you're intoxicated? I don't know. That's not spelled out. The only thing we're told is God says, I don't want you drinking when you're in the tent. When you're ministering in the tent, not just for the profane and holy, but because I want you to be able to teach all the statutes to the nation of Israel. Somehow that was inhibiting that. That's all I can tell you. That's the only conclusion I can come to. We have to use our imaginations to think about why. And that might help us understand what's going on, but it doesn't change the fact that God said, this is why I don't want you to do it. He's not giving them some trumped up thing, like, oh, this might happen. He's saying, this happens. Right? So regardless of the mechanism, whether there's a bar tent or whether they're just stumbling on their way to the, t- the, the, the tent of meeting, Whatever it is, or even they're not stumbling, they're just walking and people smell it on them. Whatever it is, they're having some impact on the nation of Israel. God says, I don't like that. I don't want you to have that impact. Okay, before we leave the Old Testament, which I said we were going to do very shortly, and we're about to, I want to look in Proverbs at two different passages just to see what the proverb writer had to say about wine and strong drink. Proverbs 20, verse 1 is a a familiar one. And I think it's it's familiar for an unfortunate reason. Um, We tend to like one-liners, not really to think. So people will latch on to Proverbs and just start throwing them like darts at people. I'm not saying that's a problem with the proverb writer. I'm saying that's a problem with us as humans. 21 is one I've seen thrown like a dart and no discussion. Like, I don't want to talk about this. I'm just going to read this, right? But this is what is recorded for us in Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever's intoxicated by it is not wise. Okay? He doesn't say wine makes you into a mocker. It says wine itself is a mocker. You want to look at a bottle of wine, point at the bottle and say, that's a mocker. It doesn't make you a mocker. It is a mocker. Strong drink, it's a brawler. It's a fighter. It punishes, pummels. It doesn't make you that. That's what it is. Okay. Now there's one more passage in Proverbs, Proverbs 31. We think of Proverbs 31 as right the, the godly woman. And most of the chapter is, but there's a section at the beginning. Um, there's some wisdom for, for, maybe, and from King Lemuel here. Beginning in verse 4, Proverbs 31. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, or for rulers to desire strong drink. For they will drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who's perishing. And wine to him whose life is bitter. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his trouble no more. So here we see the only purpose I can read about in Scripture for a strong drink other than Timothy's stomach, right, is let people who are dying forget that they're dying. Like, let them drink until they don't know who they are anymore and they, they forget their lives. 
That's, that's all it's good for, as stated here. So as we transition into the New Testament, into application, right, I want to ask these three questions about the text we've looked at. Is it wise for Christians to be companions with mockers and brawlers? I don't mean like rub elbows, right? Paul says you can't come out of the world. But if we think about in terms of people, you know, who are you going to take to help you do your work as an evangelist? Who are you going to take with you when you need to help somebody who's down? You can take a mocker and a brawler. Who are you going to take when you're doing anything a Christian is supposed to do? Who's going to be alongside you to help you? A mocker and a brawler as a person? Well, then why would it be as a drink? Second question, are Christians rulers who should abstain from the impairment associated with alcohol? It is not for kings, O Lemuel. Period. Why? Because kings are making judgments that impact a lot of people. Are we called rulers? We're a royal priesthood, right? We'll get to that in about a minute. So I'm not getting too far ahead of myself. <clears throat> All right, third and final question. Are Christians perishing or bitter and require some kind of dulling effect of alcohol to forget their poverty and their troubles? They're not supposed to be. Um, we're co-regents with the Messiah on his throne and we're priests. So what exactly do we need to forget or what do we need to dull our senses so that we overlook and how bitter is our lives if we're ruling with the king? Okay. So as I referenced earlier, we are current day priests. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2. The application of the Leviticus text, I have no trouble saying is not a direct application to us. It is not. We are not born to Aaron. We are not serving in the tent. It is not a direct application to us as Christians. I do, however, believe just as strongly it is an indirect application to us. And 1 Peter 2 is one of those passages for that belief. Okay. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, and then, and then down in verse 9. And coming to him, that is Jesus, as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Down in verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And there are a couple of verses in Revelation as well. Revelation 1, verse 6. This is when John is sort of introducing who Jesus is, right? In the beginning of the letter he says, And he, that is Jesus, has made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's Revelation 1.6 and Revelation 5.10. This is part of the praise that the angels, or maybe, I don't know, I can't remember the details, the seraphim or the cherubim, or these heavenly creatures are 
lauding on Jesus. Verse, Revelation 5, verse 10 says, You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. So we're priests. Christians are priests. We're not Aaronic, Levitical priests. We're priests through Jesus. Okay? That's why I believe the application is indirect and that the application is there. For that reason and also for the reason I stated earlier that we weren't reading a part of the law. We were reading God's response to two men who did something very foolish as priests. They did not treat him as holy. They said, ah, he wants incense burned. We'll just burn it however we want to burn it. And in light of that incident, God says, you priests, stay away from alcohol. Whether they were drunk or not, he recognized that will make you do this kind of thing. You will have lapses in judgment that will cause you to do this in your service to me. The line being crossed isn't a line drawn by the law. It's a line drawn by the character of God. He's holy. And that doesn't change. Right? Holiness is holiness. And so when God says, you are mixing the two, well, that mixing would continue. In fact, look in, if you're still in First Peter, maybe you're in Revelation, but go back to First Peter chapter 1. Peter actually makes a reference to that same idea um, before he talks about us being a priesthood. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, Peter says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. So the line between profane and holy remains. What about the teaching? I really don't think there's a whole lot to say there, because I think the mechanism is not revealed in the, in the text of Leviticus. We just have to use our imaginations. But the one that I offered earlier would be the same today. If I'm trying to convince someone to follow Christ and I can't speak clearly because I've had so much alcohol that I'm slurring my words, or if I've had one drink and the smell is on me, and people say, Are you, have you been drinking before you came here to talk to me about the Bible? Not that they can impute sin to us, but because it can cost us our influence. Because the mechanism isn't revealed in Leviticus, I can't explain to you how any consumption of alcohol by the Aaronic priests would hinder teaching. All I can tell you is God said it did. Same way, because I'm making this indirect application, at least to myself, I have to assume, I'm forced by the text to assume that it would have the same effect on me. I'm a priest, and I'm responsible for teaching. So I can't go into the details of that. But if I make that indirect application, I'm bound by that conclusion. And I do make that application to myself. So here is the conclusion. 
we're at the end of the lesson, guys. This is it. Um, so when considering the question of drinking or not drinking alcohol, ask yourself if you are engaged in anything holy. And I would suggest think about passages like Romans 12 that refer to us as living sacrifices. 1 Peter 2, where we just were, refer to us as living stones that are being built into a spiritual house by which to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. Does that happen only on Sunday? Am I that living stone right now because I'm standing here with you? Or am I that living stone when I leave here and I go home? Am I engaged in something holy when I'm here? Is something profane in the rest of my life? Or am I a priest engaged in holy things always because of the nature of the new priesthood? That's a real question. For me, I'm engaged in something holy as long as I'm breathing, if I claim to be a Christian. That's the conclusion I've reached. Because I am part of the temple every day, regardless of where I'm at. So I cannot mix profane and holy myself. Think about your ability to teach those you come in contact with. Right? Maybe you know some people who would, you would lose influence with. Maybe you don't. Um, but if there are any you would lose influence with, take that into consideration as well. Ask yourself if you're ruling, right? A royal priest indicates a ruling priest. And think about Proverbs 31. Is it for kings to have wine and strong drink? It doesn't seem so. Are you perishing or poor or in need of a chemical comforter because God can't save you, he can't enrich you, and he can't comfort you? So you need the things that the perishing people turn to, something to dull your senses. And again, I'm not talking about drunkenness. Proverbs doesn't say, let them get drunk. Proverbs is saying to the king, it's not for you to have any of that. Let the people have that who need to forget their lives. We don't want to forget our lives, I hope. Thank you for your time. I do want to add a uh, few caveats. Like There is the Timothy text everyone always brings up. I'm not talking about abstaining from medication. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm talking about how you live your life and the things that we turn to. Um, I also will give a, a personal disclaimer my abhorrence of alcohol has roots that have nothing to do with being a Christian. That decision was made long, long ago with alcoholism running in my family. So it's never been a temptation for me. So I, I, I feel like I need to get that out there. I'm not talking to you from a perspective of someone who's been down that road and returned. Um, but I also don't feel like I'm justifying my stance because I found some ways to do it in the text and I'm twisting them. The final caveat I want to say is I don't think what I've discussed here 
is a point of division among Christians either. I know and love, like really love, many Christians who will drink wine with dinner. And I think it's foolish. I don't think it's wise. But I don't cut myself off from them. Because I don't see them as doing anything in, in open rebellion against the word. The question was asked, like, okay, well, at what point do you draw that line? Well, it's the same with any sin. At an, the point of an unrepentant sinner who engages in drunkenness continually and won't repent of that life, well, then steps need to be taken. Drunkenness is clearly condemned as a sin. And we can't tolerate that in our lives, and we have to help brethren overcome that as well. This... I admit this is more nuanced, but I think there's wisdom in going one way or the other with this. So as we normally do, we offer an invitation at the end of our lessons. The point of that invitation is if anyone here is struggling with overcoming any kind of sin, not just the one that's been spoken about, if there's something in your life that you say, you know what, I'm, I'm drowning. Well, let us here know that um, so that we can help you. We're not your saviors, uh, but he's given us strength to help you when you're weak. So let us know that, and we're going to sing a song at this time. You can either speak to someone while we're singing, let someone know, let someone know after. Uh, but don't leave here if you're struggling and uh, you need help. Thanks. Thanks.